Welcome everyone to Faith and Purpose Podcast. Each episode of this podcast contains the personal testimony of an ordinary person transformed by an extraordinary God. My name is Kaylin and I'm here to introduce this podcast for my friend Jesse Duke. Jesse is a husband, father, author, life recovery guide, lay counselor, and small group leader, but his most important role is disciple. As a disciple of Jesus, Jesse created this podcast to help other believers tell their faith stories. We'll be hearing the personal testimonies of all sorts of people who have one thing in common. Jesus has transformed their lives. Jesus used parables because he created us to learn best through story. And as we listen to how God has worked in others' lives, we find encouragement and inspiration for our own faith walk. Whether you are already a believer or just a curious seeker, we believe that as you listen to these stories, you will be encouraged on your own faith journey. We are sure that God can speak to you through one of these episodes and that you will see that our Heavenly Father truly works all things together for our good when we simply love and trust Him. If you are currently going through a trial, we believe that you will come to see that your troubles, heartbreaks, and failures are not gravestones, but stepping stones into new life in Christ. Here's Jesse with today's guest. Hey, this is Jesse Duke. Before we get into the interview with Keith Chanel today, I just wanted to explain that he's had several surgeries on his throat. So some of his words don't quite make it into our audio. So I hope you'll be able to understand his story because he's really got a great one. Thank you. Let's give it a listen. Welcome, everybody. Today we have my friend Keith Chanel who's going to tell his story. How you doing, Keith? It's an amazing day today, man. I have no complaint. Tell us about yourself. Where were you born? What was your childhood like and your story in general? Okay. I was born February 5th, 1963, in a little place called Rock Hill, South Carolina, in York County. And I was one of the fortunate ones. I wasn't born in the hospital. I got born in the house I was raised in. So that was a beautiful thing there. I had my mother's side of the parents. Her parents were, they're Cherokee Indian, and my, my dad's side of the parents are immigrants. They're, they're German. I grew up on this little dairy farm life, and I can remember one of my fondest memories of my grandmother. And one of the things that my, on my mother's side, she, she was always into doing kind of the, the Indian ritual religious as far as Native American Indian. She took and I got burnt one time on my dad's motorcycle. She talked fire out of it. Yeah, 10 years old, I remember her talking fire out of my leg where it got caught on that manifold. It was an amazing lady. And she did, I had, I don't know, it's about 11, I think. And some, something that, I don't know what happened, but I got covered. I had 40-something war just on the tops of my head. And he called this person and had to fall into me and this person. I don't know what they, I couldn't tell you what they were, language they were using to speak in. And on the first full moon, when the dew fell, go out there, wash your hands. <laughs> I ain't had a wart since then. <laughs> on Sundays, we'd all go out to this creek down there by the house. 
after church. Now, church by then lasted from nine o'clock to one o'clock. <laughs> so the Baptist, the love of we go out there to the creek and it had a, a natural spring and we throw the watermelons off the net that Grandpa done did the thing with the chicken that morning and plucked and we got them all dressed out. We had fried chicken down there by the creek. We always had to take turns and read scripture. And I used to get so angry. I just couldn't understand to read it. And this is at seven years old. And I remember my dad was going to whip me, cuss. And my grandmother said, let me hold the, the young man for a minute. And she pulled me to the side. And then she prays. She says, now, you'll pray. I promise you, you'll do better. And I remember praying and I was angry and crying and not wanting to do it. And <laughs> but the funny thing is when I sat down, I read that whole, and we was in the book of Esther. So it was, so she was my biggest influence towards God. Cause my dad's side of the family, they, 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 they didn't believe, but they didn't care. But mom's side of the family, they straight Southern Baptist all the way. No, uh, changing any of that. But it was, it was a great upbringing. They didn't know. They didn't believe in TV and stuff like that right there. Because it was a way for the government to brainwash, box spread propaganda. So I grew up without TVs and uh, we had radios. We only could listen to them on Sunday night. We used to have that old country space. Somewhere in there. <laughs> it's all like old country. We used to listen to that, the countdown on Sunday night. But, uh, so we spent a lot of time and they did a lot of homeschool. That's how I escaped. Because on a hundred acre dairy farm, we had, we didn't just have cows. No? We had horses and we had the back 40 that they talked about. It's what they called it. The back 40, that's where all the fresh vegetables and stuff were planted. But there was something going on seven days a week, just about 24 hours a day on that farm. It becomes mundane when you're born into it and you do it all the time. It does. So you learn, because I wasn't, I wasn't a hunter like my dad's son. They, they believe in killing everything. And I just, I, I killed one animal and that I killed that deer. I was like, okay, this ain't me. I'm just, I can't do it. If I'm starving, it'd be different, but I, yeah. I never was. But growing up, man, at five years old, I committed my first crime. Country store where everybody goes and sit at on Sundays and Saturday evenings and checker games and little card games and turkey shoot out back. And uh, there's a little old uh, handguard in your own ship. My dad doesn't fuck me. No, you can't have it. So when my mom turned her back, I grabbed a gun and run. We got in the car, locked the door and tore it open. <laughs> uh, getting a whooping in front of all those people wasn't easy to me, but having to go apologize. And give that, and me hand that gun back to the store owner. <laughs> I was, it was a terrible day. That I did not <laughs> want to give it back. And I did not want to tell that man I was sorry for taking his property. <laughs> but I, I knew not to steal and I knew to lock the door. You know what I'm saying? It's a five-year-old. So that's, that's some kind of environment upbringing that's involved in something that I do. But like I said, I had mother's side of the family were beautiful people for God. My grandmother passed at 11 years old, almost 12. And at 12 years old, I got interviewed. Something that took me on a journey up until about three years ago, I, I played with that heroin. 
long time at that. 12 years old, I got my first shot. Mm-hmm. And I knew then that, I knew then, I, I didn't need to know. Probably, I mean, it was, I don't, it ain't that I didn't do everything else, but that was my goat. That was what I went to bed with. That's what I got up with. That's what how made my decision. Come, how did you come across heroin when at, in the country at 12 years old? I'm a 12th generation jarhead. Grew up down there on Paris Island for a few years. And all the men on my side of the family were Marines. And my mother's brother, he was a Marine and his name was Sherman. You know. He came back from over at Nall and uh, came back with that. And mm-hmm. I called him a few times. And I was, I was playing around experiment with some stuff like that right then and weed, but I wasn't, it wasn't a whole lot of things I was doing. But when I did that, I didn't need to no. That was a wrap. You know, um, I continue to do what I'm doing. And walk in the grace of God. You know, I'll be at my year of mark January 5th. We do recover in spite of the decisions we make and the attitude we have coming in. I wasn't, I was always, I knew there was more to life going to work, running a farm, being a part of the family. That makes sense. Just knew there was more. So growing up, when I got, at 14, let me start there. At 14, committed a crime against the family. False imprisonment, hostage taking, sustaining, pointing, pointing, and discharge of a fire at my step. And they sent me, I spent four years in there. And uh, while I was in there, they sent me to this uh, evaluation. I didn't do very well there, so they sent me to way up. Uh, reformatory school called John G. Richards Reformatory in Columbia, South Carolina. And it was a work reformatory. It took care of cattle, which is, hey, that buddy, I was there and I just, not being in touch with reality, not knowing how to deal with, with the withdrawals at that time. It's, and even now, I don't know if I really went through a whole lot of withdrawals, but I know that's all I thought about. I think a physical sickness wasn't there, but the physical obsession never left me. So I, I, I did some good behavior, got into this stuff, especially the shop to do electricity. Got me a knife, saw blade, took it back to barracks. The gentleman that was going to go with me just got scared and told, and I didn't cut through some bars. It was a wrap. Then so now I get to go to, so they, then I get to go to the big boy place and hang out for my last almost two years. So from there, it was, there was no looking back. Or lifestyle that I was going to choose. It wasn't forced on. I chose to do everything I've ever done. I don't think I've ever committed an innocent sin. <laughs> <laughs> That's the argument. So when I came out, I met, I met this lady in the club and got married. That lasted about nine months. <clears throat> and then I started to work for the company in Rock Hill called Procal Racing Decal. They put decals on NASCAR. And so I started putting decals on NASCAR. The very first car I ever did was for Harvey Gant. Had a big old red mountain on the top of it. Uh, Folgers Mountain Grown Colt was, was the name of it on this car. And so I was traveling around doing decals. 
on NASCAR. And Rusty Waller, Bill Elliott, I got to meet all those guys. And they came through. And the NASCAR that came through, did a your drug test. And I failed. So they gave me six months. You got to get cleaned up, do what you got to do, come on back. You know what I did? I wasn't ready to do what I was supposed to do. Trust me, I lied about everything and forged some paperwork and came on back. Pay for some paperwork to go back. I wasn't there long. And they come through and did another one. And when they did this one, they, and I failed, they escorted me out of the pit. We can't ever go back. But they say it's a life thing. They, I keep it. Work ever again. It was a great, and that, this happened in Pocono, Pennsylvania. I had a great start at the in my early 20s. I had a great start. I ain't gonna blame it all what I was using, but it helped me do the things I do so I didn't have to feel or think about, have a conscience, so to say. And after a while, that humanity switch stays off. When humanity switches off and you don't speak of nothing but anger, pain, there's no joy, there's no forgiveness, there's no empathy for mankind of any, no, everybody I came into contact with after that point was, was nice, especially my parents, my siblings, because they're doing everything they can to save their soul, who deserves better because he can do better because they know he's better than that, but he don't. Uh, where about your grandma? What about God? Where in God at? I ain't seen him in a minute. Since he took my grandmother, resentment. <laughs> I didn't know what that's what it was at the time. And I didn't know how to handle that. See, I know you're real. I don't care if you did nothing for me. You took something from me. You ain't gave me nothing. Can't see that. Mm. I said that to you. I said that to this God of mine. Very long time. So we ended up, uh, I ended up getting there. I had two beautiful children, but some mother, I was depressed. I hold them in my head. It's a beautiful thing. You hear your first and your second, whatever boy, or take their first. When you take them home for the first time in their chair. It was a beautiful thing. I was blessed. I got a son and a daughter. That still didn't change my life. Now I'm trying to keep a job on the front for my family and everybody around me in the neighborhood. And here in intervals, I would jump in and out of the church. But it, it never, it just never showed. I just, it, and what I'm going to tell you is that I didn't know is that I just said, no, I didn't know how to have an communication with God. I did. I didn't know how to communicate honestly. See, I finally got it where it says in the scripture, be angry and do not see it. Well, I'd like to know how you do that. <laughs> when I found out Jesse, when I found out, sir, I'm sitting in prison and I'm waiting to come home now. And I'm like, I don't know about six months, seven months away from being the U.S. I get the phone call about my mother. Mm. I just walked out of the cheese off. When I was in the middle of the red field, yards flowed. He's telling the, the other CEOs, just give them a minute. 
<laughs> Put me to the top of my lungs. The hips you got. Really, this is, really, you let me get this close? This fifth, 15 calendars in prison. And I didn't let my mom come see me, but twice, she got no business being back there. I did that. I'll do my time. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, let me get this straight. So you were angry at God because he took your grandmother. Mm. And you had resentment there. And then while you were in prison, your mother died. Yes, sir. And was, you said about six months before you were to get out? Yes, sir. So then yes, you're sir. angry at God because, because of that? Yes, sir. Very. Okay. Totally understandable. Yeah. Now, now I'm telling you, you know, if you can get out in six months, you help me do this. You help me do Because I knew he helped me get through that time. Now, I'll be glad to share some of that with you, too. I did a hard time, but I chose to. But what I'm saying is about this angry, be angry, do not sin, is that I had to be honest with it. It was okay at that point in time to say, if you God. It was okay at that point in time to say, you took something. You ain't gave nothing. Second time. I'm counting. I'm keeping count with God now. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> now, I ain't counting all the grace. Just counting all the mistakes that mm -hmm. he made in my eyes. Like, right. And, uh, so anyway, let me back up just before I go finish that story out is that my mother remarried to this guy and he's a really good guy for the first five or six years. It was some hard times because I fought with this man every day. I mean, physically fought with him. Then one day, man, he just, he said, yeah, ask God to help him quit. If you need, if you couldn't quit, kill him. Now he never took another drink after that. So for the first I don't know, seven, eight years. He probably wonder, I wish he had a drink. That's how miserable he was, and everybody around. But then he came down with the same kind of cancer. Came down with cancer. Let's put that way. He had throat and neck cancer, and he had lung cancer. And, uh, so I decided, I'm going to get clean so I can spend some time with because I can't go around and use I just can't because I can't go long enough without having to and can't take that stuff in mama's house. Yeah. Oh, my dad. Go down to Charleston, South Carolina, far surf. And, uh, I go through this program, this little 28 day thing. And I go, I move into an Oxford house, as a matter of fact, down there. And, uh, I get a call that dad's doing real bad. He's in the hospital, he's on this breathing thing. Two days later, he calls me and I talk to him. And he's, I'm not going to walk away from this son. He just come home. And he says, but you can't come home and stay clean. Don't come at all. No. First thing, see, God, I hate to say this, but I got to tell the truth. First thing comes to my mind, who the hell are you? You my stepdad. You ain't my real father. Really? This man come by my house, got me out of bed, took me to the doctor, brought me home, bought my prescription. And I was so sick, he couldn't. That's who this man is that I'm feeling this way toward. I went and picked up. I did. Went and picked up. Bright day. And three days later, I'm still getting texts and calls from mom. Come home, come home. She says, Keith, you need to come home. He's hanging on just for you, son. Don't make this man do this. So I got a little bit of a conscience. Thank you, God. I jumped on the book. I went to sleep. Now, mind you, I'm on a two-week run. No shower. No food. Just, you know what I'm saying? No changing of clothes, no shaving. Just spent 16 hours on the bus. 
<laughs> straight up in the hospital. See with that. They told me, go home, man. He said, I love it, but I can't take this. Oh. <laughs> I will. I did the shower with that. He come on back. It got real bad and refused the medicine. The pain, trying to pass out from the pain. Then uh, they were trying to give him more medicine. I wasn't letting him give him medicine. They ended up fighting, going to jail. <clears throat> so I get out of jail. Uh, You know, there's a couple of weeks going on there, and it's a big lawsuit, big fight going on. My dad had that asbestos can from the shipyard. I used to work there with him all the time. You know? He has other children from another marriage. And when he passed, because he didn't leave him anything in the wheel, the settlement comes after the will. They're entitled. I don't care, man. At that point. I'm not capable of carrying that. So, and it was them that I got in fight with. It's a hospital and had me arrested. I didn't care about the moon. I signed the release. I don't want nothing. I don't know what they ended up with. It wasn't much. It's just $90,000. Each one of them got eight of them, something like that. Mom got a good bit more than that, but. I had during this waiting period. I'm not going to go into detail, but I, my son, he come back. Hmm. Your voice dropped off there. I didn't hear that. He come to live with me where I was living at, which wasn't too far from where his mother and his sister oh, okay. lived at. And uh, he was heavy. I can't, I just can't control. And look at what looked bowl ever anyway, but I thought of men, he pretty good, but that's the, but. So he comes to live with me now. I'm drawing things around him, showing him things. No. Yeah. Holy God. Parents got Parents got involved. Mother got involved. All in this one situation. Anyway, they all left. They took my. Put in the bathroom. Want me a tub of water? Mm -hmm. I cut both my ribs. Mm -hmm. I did really I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Mama said because I never said anything during this whole thing, you know. And I got slapped a few times. I deserved everything and more than that. You know what I'm saying? Because in person I wasn't like and their life too. I just stood there and that tear rolled down. Same thing, no. So mom said she knew something was up. So her and my brother came back to the house. Found. Gone. Hmm. Yeah. 14 stitches on the inside of one of them with 11 stitches on that. I mean, staples on the outside, on the left. But anyway, come out and we do this wait for my dad. I, mean, just, I just can't do it. Can't. It put me on the spot. My mom's sister found this place. 
and with Palm Beach, Florida, Joshua Treatment Center, two-year program just for me and heroin addicts. Don't hold the 16 people. The waiting list to get in. Oh, yeah. Mom, sister sent him a video and told him what happened, what was going on, and they took. So I went down there, man, and I did my thing there. And during this time, now I got marriages. We lose. God, well, my, well, my fifth marriage. So it shows you what I know about relationships. Health and anyway. And but what I'm gonna say, Jess, is that whenever I did all this, man, and I went down to West Palm Beach. I had been to school with Clemson University for a little while. I finished my degree up down here in uh, Fort Lauderdale at Barry University, which is number one school in the Southeast for counselors. And that's what I wanted to do. I went and got my CAS and I went to work on Singer Island for a place called Beha. And it's one of the most prestigious treatment centers in West Palm Beach for anybody from 14 to 18. And it, most of the people that come there are all from up north, and never anybody from that state. So, so I go to work there. Let me back now, up for just a minute before you go on. So you, did you finish this two years program? at Joshua House? I finished the program and, and I ended up going through their program to get a house. And I ended up buying the house while I was down there, moved into the house. They helped me, uh, they helped me finish up my schooling and then they helped me get the job. So we, you, your school, when you say your schooling, you mean like a bachelor's I bachelor's, degree? I got a bachelor's degree in psychology with an emphasis in a chemical addiction count. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I just wanted to clear, just wanted to get clear. Oh, I'm that. sorry. But I, <laughs> sorry. I finished that. Yeah, I finished the program. And it was, it's really a four-year program, but it's two years of being in-house. I mean, it's two years of being out of house to go. And I did yeah. all that. And but at this time, I decided this ain't working. This below hmm, $42,000 a year job to start off. Eight. We had great benefits, but I'm like, this ain't me. And I said, it's great. There goes the company babbling and powerful. Yeah. I already had some guys on some dope. I just haven't been using them as resources. So I, I reached out. And started doing, moving stuff on the side, illegal stuff, making money on the side, keeping a good job is a front. There's a lady that comes through there. When she graduates the program, we end up starting dating. That's totally code, all, everything across the board. So I ended up going to meet her family. And when I went to meet her family, they're the Spanish. Yeah. They lived in a little place in central Florida and I knew something was up, but I didn't know what. So after a couple of visits, her dad took me in his little celery man. They grew stuff around that. I learned how to grow. Once I learned how to grow, you can't, I can't, I can't be a part of illegal activity like that and not partake of it. I can't just, so now I'm using it. It doesn't take long while I go back to my, what I like best. But now I got the heroin and knife. You know, I did this. I didn't do this for almost two years. That's all. 
machinery and accumulating all the stuff. But you don't know what to do with the barn. Because I wasn't educated in the area of how to clean it and put it somewhere safe and make it work. So now you got stuff buried everywhere and all whatever. And outside the house is like everybody else. When you walk inside, you think, man, that's to him saying, there's so much immaturity in that lifestyle people that anyone ever made out there for a very long time. So much immaturity, nothing. There's no planning, it's just doing. But I'm gonna tell you about, just when I tell you all this 2002, went to prison for killing somebody. Greed, $28,000, man, lost a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. During this process, I get shot five times. Not so. I've been in and out of institution all my life. Ended up, uh, I ended up taking a plea deal. I spent three years fighting this case. Everything across the board from the beginning to life actually went to court with 25 to life, 25 minutes. Mm. They took everything. I gave them everything that I had that I wasn't supposed to have. Houses, cars, a little bit of money. And the wife, she had to divorce me and testify against me so they would take the key. I know I'm, but it doesn't matter. I ended up with a 15-year-old son. I don't know. But wouldn't anybody else think that's inconceivable in this, in this mind here? 15 years. I mean, because I've never been someone who's calculated time, especially growing up in, in Gulf. I never wore a wide, so I don't care about time. But about three years into my sentence, it set in. I'm never coming out of Never. I charged with life. I went to Martin CI, West Palm Beach, Martin Correctional Institute. It's a closed custody level seven camp. I was there for about three years and, uh, just, just going with the flow, not really caring about anything. Back then time was different. I had gotten some heat put on me. Someone else took it as a disrespect and it was a gang member and he thought I was him. Boastful with things that I had put on me, and I got stabbed twice. And I got put on one of them bags for a couple of weeks. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go in to take the cousin. I had a Cuban, Julio Anstavero, great dude, God of love. And he, he says, I know what you're going to do. He says, but if you can do this your way, then you're going to die. You can handle it. I got a suggestion for you, you can handle it this away. Everything will work out. So I listened to it. They got, if you ever see anybody on the streets that has a Z like this across the forehead, if they have a J that goes from the corner of their mouth up to the end of the ear, and they tell you they've been in prison, that's what they do to snitch you. That's what they do to people who chuddle. That's what they do to people who do things against the community that they're not supposed to do. It took, I made me a saint, and in there they had bars. They didn't have walls. They had bars on the front of the rooms, and I cut a Z on his forehead. He, went, he got up and went straight and told, and they put me on CU. They gave me CM. Uh, closed management. 
That means I'm in a room, I'm in an eight by eight by eight room, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they got different levels. And I went on on level one, which is the highest level you can go in on. And you get to come out of the room for an hour once a week. Shout. Once a week. Once a week. Yes, sir. And I spent 18 months on CM1, and then I got to go to CM2 for about six months. And then they released me. But then they put you on a, you know, what they call a reentry camp. Someone who's been on lockdown that long, they put you into a reentry camp. But that point, just I didn't care, man. I'm not much of a stack drove a man all the I was good with all the day. It's just nice and I stayed in the box. But I didn't get game counseling, getting mad. They couldn't take anything from me but my life. And I living in there, I didn't have also I thought. After I finished the CUM camp, they took it uh, they sent me to another one and there was a guy. And he used to come and sit on my bed and bring what they call a bowl of bread. He'd cook a little brick, what they call a brick. That's how we cook our soups in prison. They'd bring it. And he'd sit down and he'd come down. We'd never say nothing. He'd just sit down and eat that soup and read scripture. Get up and leave. Take the bowl with him. I never watched one bowl, never cooked anything. And he did this for a couple of months. And I'd come here from the yard one day and he's just packing on my bed. Because I'd been asking questions about getting into the seminary. We talked to the pastor up there at the church. And he says, let's see what your scores look like. So I, did, I took some pre-score test work and did very well. I don't know how, but I did. And uh, so I got a sponsor. So the sponsor was going to pay for my scholarship. So I started going to the Jacksonville Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, this is online courses that we have to do up there at the chapel. They don't computer things and find the fence are different. So I'm up there and I do the courses and I do very well. But during this time, I'm still showing how rebellious I am. Knowing who they are. I, I had to do, write certain essays and I would intentionally throw jabs at who's at the seminary I'm going to, Southern Baptist. I would throw jabs, you know, things like that right there. And it, it was borderline disrespectful, but, you know, they tolerated and they could be graded by three professors when it worked like this and it never tied. There was one who loved me to death and told me, you don't know how to do it. was a light that I could shine. Yeah, hey, grace of God just has no eating. It doesn't. And so I ended up, ended up graduating there and I did very well in there. I ended up walking away. With a bachelor's degree in systematic theology with an emphasis in ex-Genesis, the interpretation of scripture. And I studied both the languages of Hebrew. And I only got through one of the Greeks in the New Testament. I didn't complete the other one, but those are the things that, but what I was doing, I wanted all the information I could get on God so I could form this opinion about it. I mean, I researched it. And what came to happen was that. When he told me that, I knew I wasn't meant to be. And I didn't know what to do. So I took and I started doing a little bit of wreck time preaching. You know what I mean? I go out there with my trusty sword and hold, and then and just start putting stuff. On. One of the first sermons I ever did, and this is just, I did a call the plate of life to full. And this comes out of Luke 10, 38 and 42, 42 birth, second verse. Martha and Mary 
Jason stepped off in the house to visit with him. And the one of them's up, just cleaning and cooking and moving stuff around. Nothing sitting at his feet. Loving him, loving on him. The plate of life can become full. And there's things that everything in our life, for me, should have a priority. No matter what I'm doing, everything should have a priority and can work its way down. So we see one sister doing the party, dang, sitting with the master. We see the other ones get, she's so busy preparing for him. He's acting like he ain't even there. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? So he talks about, she's too distracted. She's so distracted with serving and setting up for him that she can't enjoy it. So that's one of the first things that I ever taught on. It was the, but that's, and I, but I look at that today, being in recovery. I have today. I don't struggle with the physical desires of you or dream, but I have because I don't pay attention and I don't, and I don't know, keep more of a conscious contact. Oh my God, these gifts of recovery have taken me out of the Cause you, A, when you, when they lose their priority, your gratitude, they know what they become being. All right. It's very important not to. So anyway, just that part there, man, when I came up, finished school, did a little bit of, I got in some trouble. They sent me down South, I'm up here. I was up here at Putney, CI, and they sent me down to Hardy CI, which is another CM deal. That's where they put knuckleheads there. And I spent my last year and a half there, two years there. And that's where I really got into doing that type, that style of teaching, our preaching, teaching. And I used to teach Sunday school every Saturday and Sunday morning there. And it made a difference. Just, yeah. But I put all that aside when they gave me that about my mom. And then they took and put me in the box too for 30 days. So I come out of prison. Get, get the game plan before she died was to come home to South Carolina and take care of them. But after she passed away now, this was during COVID in 20, right? During COVID, yeah, hard. They're not giving bus tickets to inmates out of the state. Now, they're giving me a bus ticket from Central Florida to Jacksonville, but then I've got to get an Uber or whatever to go across state line. Then I get, get another bus and go on into South Carolina. But they won't. Oh, that's yeah. right. So I get here to Jacksonville. I'm not sure what to do, man. It's Lighthouse Ministries in Jacksonville. Side so one of Take me in and give me a chance. It's so ridiculous. I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Just, you know, and I ended up being, when I left there, I just, I went new. Period. I overdosed three times in eight days. Say, here's the, let me tell you about grades. Sneak. Say me and TK. The first time he gave me, got me out of the front yard. And then I was getting up, so it was no big deal. Second time he came and get me, was in the house. And he done put me on the gurney. I fought my way off that gurney. Third time, he got me out by the pool. He says, I don't care what you say, what you do. You're not dying on my watch. You can die tomorrow. You're going to the hospital today. And yeah, he kept me strapped down that gurney and took me to the hospital. Let me interrupt you for a second. What, what, what'd you OD on? Fentanyl. 
Did you I didn't know? know it was fentanyl. No, right. I was shooting heroin. I thought, yeah, I thought it was all heroin, but it wasn't. Right. It was fentanyl in there. So when he came, took me to the hospital, man, they sent me up to uh, Baptist in Jacksonville on the second floor, middle for violent people. Yeah. And I spent 20 something days there. And then they shipped me up to the third floor for treatment. Cause I'd signed up for it at this point. So I did the treatment and uh, it got me in touch with the three quarter way house here on the island, Green's house. And I went there and when I got in there, here's a little bit taken. And I've told you about all this crap I've done up till now, right? Intentional harm, intentional disrespect for the lives and people and respect all of that, right? So now I get here and I'm not there, but a week and I get COVID. I didn't know it. I go to the hospital and they're like, you got COVID, but your oxygen level way low enough. It's got to drop another two points so we can admit you. Yeah. Before I can get back to the house, because they want to know where I'm at. I tell them where I'm living. I just got there. Before I can get back, they done called me. But when I get back, all my stuff, and it's raining now. This is in December of 21, 20, something like that. All my stuff sitting in the front yard. And he's telling me I got to leave. I can't stay there. I'm like, hold up, man. What was supposed to do? You just come and got me from the hospital. What my? He's like, I don't care what you can't stay here. Get out of my yard. So he called the police. So when he called the police, I'm there. So I go over to the church and on the corner of 14. Later, says, I can't do nothing either, son. I'm sorry. So she gives me a tent and a sleeping bag and throws all kind of food, dry goods and stuff, kegas into a box to take this. I'm angry, man. You know, really? You got COVID. So I cussed her out. <clears throat> and by the time the police gone, and it was it's one of his one of his people on the force. And he said, Look, man, I can't do nothing for you. He said, My hands are tied. He said, Here's forty dollars. Get your Uber and get across that bridge. <clears throat> so I got an Uber and I went to went to uh, Jacksonville. That's all I really remember, man. When I woke up eight days later, they were taking a tube out of me. I ended up on, on the incubator. And then I spent another six days and I see you. So when you come out and you're homeless, though, just during the middle of that COVID bad, you ain't, you're homeless, you ain't got no address. They got a little place where they're putting homeless people or that homeless family stays out there next to Middlebird and 103rd over there, old Middlebird Road. They had this little place set up in this little cow pasture-like area. And they had golf carts that were controlled around it. And they had these little uh, things that you used the bathroom set up out there. But they also had the ones that had water and you could walk and you go in and watch it. Right. And, uh, and they bring food out there and they had tents set up, like almost like military, but they were a little bit better. And once you tested negative, you could leave. But if you wanted to leave and you were oh, considered home and there no one there to pick you up, nowhere to go. Then they put you in jail. Wow. So I'm, no, I'm So I take, I stay there eight days, take the test, and I'm still caught. <laughs> stay there 10 more days and take the test, and I'm negative. And I come back to Fernandina Beach to Henry Green's house. He has a program. So I committed to six months. And I got misspawned. I went to meetings every day. And I saved my money, got a job. 
after six months, I went to my own place. So, started getting more involved in the film. And then, I don't know, somewhere nine, 10 months into the program, my liver is messing up. I've damaged it bad. I've been hep C positive since 92. And I tried to interferon and it would work. The body rejected this new stuff that got out. Ended up getting to do it. But anyway, I ended up having to go to treatment. And the first thing I had to go through was chemotherapy. What then, therapy? Chemotherapy. Okay. So I did the chemotherapy and tell me it was what hard. It was this, what, what was the chemo for at that? Get, let me back up. You had COVID, you got over COVID and then in or, you went back to Henry's place and signed up for six months. Okay. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. So that, yeah, that's I right. got Yeah. So I'm just looking. What did you get tested for? Uh, I, I'm hep C. I'm, I'm, I have hepatitis. I have chronic hepatitis. So I have to right. go in every now and then and get, get treatment for it. Okay. They're taking, they'll flush it, they'll rejuvenate, whatever. So I'm doing, and I'm, anyway, I end up coming to what they call stage four fibrosis of the loop, mm, which okay. is scarring of it. Now, stage four, I'm 70, I'm 72, 73%. Clogged up. That's why I'm having so much trouble with the kidneys, the intestines, and, the, and other things. So they take and they do the treatment. And it takes. But during the treatment, I don't know if you've ever done it, but, you know, I've done a little bit of everything since then. And now I know different. But chemotherapy, man, is probably, no, 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 no. It just, it takes you some really dark places in your life. The depression is incredible. And it's, and I, it's just a little thing they stick in your vein. You sit there for three or four hours and it runs through me. And then, and then two or three days later, you get sick and you stay that way till you get the next one. And then you do it like that. But the chemotherapy was rough for me. It really was. And I had just finished it. I wasn't maybe, I think I was 40 something days from changing truth. Somewhere like that. And I got to die. I ended up having this thing on the side of my neck kick. I ended up going to So now I'm doing radiation. And uh, I went from 172 pounds down to 115 pounds in eight weeks. Yeah. I had to stop treating. But I couldn't take any more. And uh, he told me, he said, man, you need to get your fares in order. This don't look good for you, Keita. I'm sorry. I'm doing the best we can, but I'm just telling you. You go, I go get all this paperwork, power of attorney, take care of a cremation. And it's just things that need to be done so the family don't have, because they got enough to worry about. You right. know, and he tells me, during this time, there was just so much that went on. I couldn't eat, throat completely shut up. So I ended up having to get a tube put in the feeding tube to eat with. And this, I finished that treat. I'm not even, I hadn't finished, to be honest with you. I got two more treatments left. You know, I get diagnosed with uh, colon cancer. So they got to do surgery. got to do a recall. So they got to go in there and take it out. And let me tell you how funny is I love these doctors, man, right? I go into surgery and uh, when I come back out, I just, this is all I remember in the wake up room. He's saying, I want you to know that three of those 
cuts are mine. And I ain't paying him no attention, right? <laughs> but when I finally get around, I'm like, I got seven cuts on me that had staples and stitches in them, seven places. And what it was is a machine attaches to you and four of them and does the surgery in the other. But it attaches oh. to you and they have, and they have to take and stitch you up for the tattoo. Yeah, no, man, but anyway, he goes in there and takes that thing out. And he said he's glad that he did because he said it was some really nasty stuff. And that would have been quick. They take it out. And I let the people know that uh, I have no problem with taking anything for pain while I'm in there. But limit it as much as you can. And, and whatever you do, I don't care what you give it for pain. I don't want no delight. No, none of that period. Because that would trigger no, you. Not even going to try. Too fresh for me. Especially right. that weekend in pain. And <laughs> then nursing. And this lady comes in there. She gives me a shot. And I knew right away what she did. Mm, set me go. So I start cussing her out. And I'm down at St. Vince in River City. And I'm telling her to get up out of my room. You know what? I told y'all don't give me that stuff. Because it makes me good. Making me very violent and angry. So I did a few threatening moves. And to keep me from AMA and the doctor coming in there and release. Now I'm just fresh out of major surge. Won't get in a wheelchair. Told me they stick it up. Nowhere. I don't need y'all. No. If you had to get me this, I wouldn't be in the situation I'm in right now. And I fall out there and go walking out of the lobby. I fall out. Fall out of the lobby into the park. I'm so medicated and keep walking bandaged up. <laughs> I think Jesse and the real nurse helped get me up in the car. I won't go back in. I came home, man. I tried to move too fast. My heels creep. Scar tissue doubled almost. And what it does is limits your range of motion. Yeah. So they have to do certain stretch exercises and now stretch it out. But anyway, during all this time, I want to take some responsibility. I love her to death. She did. I ain't got no problem with taking you through the steps. That's all I said. I just want to, know, I want to understand the steps, the way you explained them when you was up there doing them at Wednesday. Because I went through every session with her. She says, okay. She says, but in order to do that, I need you to tell me that you're committed to belong to the no matter what club. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, sure. I'm like, no matter what, I won't pick up. She says, now, because of who you are and the way you live and the way you think and the way you come in at this recovery, your lifestyle and this program is going to test that theory one day, sir. Mm. That's when all the cancer. I made sure that people didn't give me anything they weren't supposed to. I don't take stuff. I don't take pain pills now. And I do have other altered stuff that I can take and use. I don't need the Lottas and the Morshine and Lortab, Prococet. After all the prescriptions, I've told you how I live, shooting dope at 12, taking hostages at 14, going to prison till I'm 18. Then all the different marriages and all the different steps. I've had crazy, incredible breaks in life. Y'all. Learning to live clean, sober is the hardest thing I've ever done. I've gotten clean sober so many times. Mr. Jesse, I went to my very first meeting in 1976. Now, I had been, I had overdosed on some baggie. 
sent me, and back then, the detox centers were in the state hospital. This was in 76, so they sent me to the Columbia State Hospital, put me in there for a 72-hour evaluation. Took me 91 days to get out of there, being a little smart, whatever you want to call me at that point. You know what I'm saying? Mm. By the choices I made, parents didn't raise me that way. They didn't make me live that way. Nobody. I chose. At some point in time, I didn't have to choose that way. I had the drugs. The years took that away. It took the power of choice. If I had to choose, I chose that. I didn't choose nobody else. Nothing else was important. But what I'm going to say to you is, is that all this, there, there's grace in the very beginning of my first breath till now. There's grace in my life. There's grace that I come from a family that had the yin and the yang, the good and the healthy and no, no, you want to call it that I did. And just as much as I had a, mm. He wasn't evil. He just, he didn't know how to do that. My real father, as much as he was hateful and disrespectful, my grandmother was just loved. I had the best hope and have one more of one or the other. So I can't say I was treated unfairly any time like that. It balanced out. It just did. Learn to communicate honestly with God. That's why I'm able to be sit here and talk to you right now and be in a sober state of mind, not just body. I knew after about, after the second round of treatment for cancer, I knew right then. Cause I keep hearing people share about struggling with drinking and using, and I'm like, I'm not a struggling. I'm struggling living sober, the behavior and talk. And the way I act sometimes, you swear them down. I was using or drinking. Control mm -hmm. that crazy man. He's going to speak that all. Talking like that. To see, God is showing how I can. I didn't. I spent six years being the kind of person I am. So these last look, three years, being scratched to surf. But you know what? It's enough to stay me so I don't have to. Or drink over. Now I've got to work on learning how to keep the friends that I have not pushing them away with my attitude. Mm. I tend to be a very angry person when I'm in pain. I spend a lot of time. No, let me take that back. That's not true. I'm having better days now than I had. I stopped treatment four months ago. Every no, I'm doing nothing else. I'm supposed to go back in and have some surgery done for this. I got another one to come up in my colon. I got another one in my neck. This one in my neck. It's attached to my spinal cord. So I said, you know what, man? Y'all don't do what y'all can do. I'm not letting y'all cut on me anymore. I'm not stick me with anything anymore. I'm trust God on this. And he's going to let me never. He's going to come and get me. But I'm not letting y'all do anything else too. And that's where I'm at. And I'm okay with it. My, my, my family. I talked to my wife first. I talked to both of my sons about this. Talk to my daughter and my brother, and they're okay like that. And we get it, man. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna trust God in this. And what I'm gonna say to you, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced. You wouldn't believe the people that I have met. Now I'm, I'm a backwoods country boy that learned to be three quarters slick in the city. <laughs> but 
Look how I live, man. I live better than I deserve. I do. I got a wife that loves me. I got, I, didn't, I wasn't a father to my firstborn son because I was too stuck in being self-centered and all about cheating, making money. Now I have a 10-year-old son I get to raise. That's about the time I left his life. Now I'm raising him. Yes. He loves me. Respect. And not only that, the one that I didn't raise lives with me. And he works with me. He calls me Bob. Mm. See, I don't deserve any of these things. I haven't done nothing in my past. Just keep you deserve these things. God said, my grace is sufficient. I got you, Crawler. And I didn't earn it and couldn't earn it. <laughs> See, that's why I know I live a life of grace. That's why I don't have a problem with how I live today. I don't have a problem with helping. I don't have, I don't have a, the trans, I don't, the transformation that I see in me, you know, in my life, will sustain me until he comes. It will. Because every day it starts with him and it ends with him. So long, and it's so long as it starts and ends with him. There's nothing in between me and you. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> hey, let me ask you a question. When we started out, you were talking about this verse from James. Was it James that says, be angry and sin not? And you said, now how do you do that? So you obviously have learned something about controlling that anger. What do you do with it when it comes up? I mean, you're obviously in pain at off and on, and then pain causes... That doesn't push me in that area. I have to look. When I get like that, Mr. Jesse, I'll tell you the truth. I'll, Jesse will tell you. My wife should tell you. Keith, not people. Friendly today. You can't, that's why it's not at the meet. Because I can't. I don't go out there. Because I'm not going to take that stuff they've given me. And if I can't do push-ups and sit-ups to try to ease it or ride a bike, I'll lay in the shower and cry it off. I promise you I will, but I'm not taking that stuff. No. So, but I won't go around people and have to add to my immediate system. <laughs> I won't, man. But here's what I will check. Last week I had five days of not really feeling anything. Just feeling really good. A lot of energy. Mm. And then I woke up at three o'clock in the morning, like I was going diarrhea, throwing up, can't breathe, trying to push this down so I can breathe because it's something catching right there where that knot is. <laughs> Laying in the bathroom floor, just really God, you give me five great days now. And now wake up like this, just like I was never had a good day. It's over. Wow. Go down. Be angry. Do not see it. Now it used to be, I'd be like, okay, if you gone, now you got, I got your attention. See, I don't have to, I don't, yeah, I got his attention. He never lost his attention with me. Right. And knowing that fact, I don't have to cuss. Now, now, I can, now I can get to the real. Okay, I feel like that I'm being played with and being toyed with, Bob. You give me five great days. No, he didn't give me five. He let me have five. Yeah. He's also letting me be sick. Remind me, you are a sick man. Don't you forget that? Because if I forget that I'm sick, I'll a lot of other things. And what if I forget my gratitude? He's he's a man. Type of help. Cause it don't go green. Yeah. With that being said, now I go to God, I'm angry because I feel like life is not fair. You know what it is? I said, you, 
And then just reach where I catch myself. You let me come through just a news, but now I'm, yes, I'm still here. And it goes back to what Paul about that door. If he was, if I was not to be in any more pain, you know what? If he was to give me everything I wanted, I'd be the miserable song we're going in the world. <laughs> but you can't, and now you couldn't give me anything to make me any more joyful about life than I am right now. You could. Mm-hmm. You, could. you couldn't give me a new home or a new car, unlimited. That's account that wouldn't make me happier than I am. It'd bring me a lot of happiness for about five to admit a lot of trauma. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? So it's like just communicating. God, I talk to God like I'm talking to you. I'm angry because I feel like this. How can I be healthy and wake up sicker than I was been in a while? That's just that's the great you don't count. This vehicle wasn't meant to last. What he sold that he breathed into us, that's eternal. It never goes away. Part of you. So if that's the case, I'm not going to try to work out every day and eat healthy every day. I'm going to try to arrive with this body just barely making it to the gate. <laughs> when he comes to snatch his soul out, it's like, God, boy, you just barely made it. That's all we need to hear. I made it. No, don't care about the barely part. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you, obviously you do live with a lot of joy, this awareness of this grace in your life. It seems to me like you're really, you're truly living one day at a time. And I don't know, I'm just giving you my perspective. I'm at, but I'd like to know what, are there any practices or things that you do every day that keep you on track with God? Honestly, yeah, I'm crazy. I talk to him day out loud. He's real, so I don't have to talk to him here. I don't have to talk to him here. And they see me riding down the road. How do you know I'm talking to myself? I might be singing. No, I'm just, I'm just being funny. But I do every morning. It's not too many now. Don't get me wrong, humans. So I do make slip up. But most mornings when I wake up, first thing I do is I say good morning, God. If it's okay with you, I would like to be a part of your life this day. Not my life. We know what keep do with it. And, and if there's any issues, please help me to see them and to deal with them in a way that's honoring you. And that's all I say. And then it's time for you. Hey, remember what I said? I needed you to handle this. And if you don't strike them dead with lightning, then that means I got to go in here and work on it. They, 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 they ain't the problem. <laughs> I, mean, I do. I talk to him all day in my own life. And that. And, I'm, and I'm, you know what? And ain't that I'm afraid to quit and see if this is really what is working. I know this is, this is the honest I've ever been with God. But God, more than I have you or me or anybody else, I have. You denied it. I threw it. That ain't true, God. I didn't think that. I didn't say that. I didn't. No. Not true. I mean, see how I. And see, I give him all my fear. I do. I'm afraid of God. This cancer got me terrified. Someday. I'm afraid of leaving my family behind. I have the best life I've ever had as far as the family, family men's concerned. I do. I have an amazing life, Jeff. We have family night. We have date night. We have meeting night. We have recreational. We have something every night of the week that we do as a family. I'm just saying, night. My life. 
play the life as fool. But I got the master in the middle. Mm. <laughs> he's, he's first and last, and I ain't got to worry about not falling off the plate. Are you, I would say that you have a close fellowship, a close relationship with your, with God. And I would say that's what, from what, my, what I understand what you said is that's what's made all the difference. You know, it's Shakti. I've read this thing all the way through every year for five years, from cover to cover. Once a year for the last five years, I've read this all the way through. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I want to know more. It's because I want him to know that I want to know more of, you know. Right. And when it talks, see, I can say that. Yeah. That's my, that, that's the God. That we love. And he came in flesh. Mm-hmm. And, and still put up with what you put up with. To allow the things to be said and done to him. And that had nothing to do with me. You should take say, I wasn't born by then. I didn't do any of that. See, it wasn't the Romans or the Jews or whatever you want to call it did that. That was humanity. His creation did that too. He said, I still vote. Now, I know. I know the gunshots. He said, the soldiers did you go, this cancer. Tell me I'm not gonna walk away. You don't worry. I don't care. I don't. If I die, everybody has a time limit. Nobody knows what everybody's dying. That's the thing. I'm not gonna go any sooner than I'm supposed to. This cancer can't take me one second before God's ready. It can't. So if that's the case, then I can live joyous and free. Mm-hmm. Have to have to navigate myself with the pain and the sickness. But other than that, I, I'm not in prison. I'm not in bondage. I'm not in any of that things anymore. I'm not, man. I'm free. Your story is going to be online and available for as long as there's an internet. Long after you're gone, long after I'm gone, would you, what would you tell somebody out there in the future that is listening to this? What advice would you have for a young man, young woman out there who may hear this someday by God's grace? And uh, what kind of advice would you have for them? Honestly, as men, we tend to be, we stuffers and hands on. We want to fix everything, but we don't want to feel nothing. What I'm, it's that usually feelings and emotions what drives. You know what I'm saying? And, and with that being said, it's okay. Feelings and emotions have their place in life every day. But when it comes to making decisions, if I don't take a sack, of the situation and, and then base it with my feelings and emotions, I won't make a choice. So with that being said, if you don't think there's the God in your life, you don't think grace is working in your life, look for the fact. Then you can deal with your feelings. Well, I don't feel like God. I don't feel like God cares. I don't feel like God's listening. 
what facts do you have that give any of that? I didn't have any. I just chose that I knew in here, I knew there was a God. So when I quit fighting God, then I had to learn how to communicate. Oh, I know who you are, but I'm not talking to you like a little child. So what I'm saying is trust the process of developing a relationship. Allow him to do what he does. Promise you. Once I, it ain't that I stopped fighting him, but I acknowledge. Once I acknowledge him, once you open the door, he comes in, what he says, and he did. I'm living. Now, I'm not crazy. You might think I am, but I'm living through. When I open the door to God, my life changed. It's changed. Now, is it perfect? Am I perfect? You know me better than you, buddy. Sir. <laughs> You know, I'm not a saint in that world and in my behavior a lot, but in God's eyes, I'm old. Yeah. We were just talking about that in our Bible study this morning, how when we do, when we are born again, our spirits are sealed by the Holy Spirit forever. And there's no matter, even if we sin and no matter what happens to us, we're sealed. And that doesn't give us license to sin, but it just means that we have grace that like you talked about that God's grace follows us. Goodness and mercy follows us. All the day of my life. He, <laughs> he won't let us go. And so I want to just ask that you would pray for our listeners um, before we wrap things up. Well, first, is there anything else you wanted to say? I want to tell you that it's an honor to do this. I really appreciate you uh, allowing me this trip because this is a privilege. And I want to thank you. And uh, if you think that I can ever do for you, I will be more than glad to, sir. Thank you for this privilege here. No, and, thank you. I'm I'm honored. Yeah. So let's pray for this anybody who may be listening. And I believe that God is in charge of whoever listens to this, and He's going to send somebody that needs to hear exactly what you said. Somewhere. I'm counting on it. <laughs> okay, we're ready. Yeah. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, come before you give you thanks for this gathering. We thank you for this special moment in time that you have placed here. We do not know the dividends that it's going to pay for what this man here is doing, but we know that it's going, going to reach me. Father, I pray that anyone that is listening, that they'll take the time. <laughs> Everything about me is public, right? I, I lived a life. That's unworthy of according to the world's. But when I study your word, like it talks about in Romans chapter 12, when I studied the word of God study, that's how I know that God loves me and cares. And I know that he, if he loves me and cares for me, he can love me and cares for me. Anyone out there listening to this, that there's not a God, please take the time to just if it's not real, then what will it hurt to talk? If it's not real, what will it hurt to study? Give yourself a break and breathe. Allow God to do what he does better. And that's love up. I pray and ask this for everyone that comes into contact with this. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you. We hope you've been blessed by today's story. In case you haven't noticed, there are no advertisements on this podcast, 
and we hope to keep it that way. So if you've heard something that you think could help someone you know, please share it using the link in the show notes. Also, if you will give Faith and Purpose a positive review on your podcast platform, you could help more people find it. You will probably never know how that small effort can make a big difference in someone's life, but our Heavenly Father knows. Speaking of sharing, if you know a Jesus follower with a story to tell, please send them a link to Faith and Purpose podcast. It may encourage them to tell their story. That person may even be you. Our only criteria is that Jesus be glorified. Most Christians don't share their faith because they mistakenly think their story is not interesting enough or that it's self-centered to talk about themselves or that they are not competent to explain the gospel correctly. But none of that is relevant. If Jesus has changed your life, you have a story to tell. All of our stories are completely unique. No one has a story like yours and you may be the only one who can reach someone else through telling your experience. All of our stories are completely unique. No one has a story like yours, and you may be the only one who can reach someone else through telling your experience. So don't be intimidated. A story is just that, a true account of your own experience, and no one can disagree with your experience. When we tell what Jesus has done in our lives, we are being obedient to his command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's not about theology, and it's not about how interesting or special you are. It's all about Jesus. So when you're ready to tell how Jesus has impacted your life, you can let Jesse know at his ministry website, jessieduke.net. There you can download guidelines that will make it easy to prepare to tell your story. Thank you for listening today, and shalom. Shalom.